0: Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Monica. Today, we are continuing with part four of the Soap Note series. Our focus is the plan of care. How do we create a collaborative plan of care for our patients? When I picture myself working with a new patient in an
1: evaluation, I feel like the plan of care section is the part that seems the most stunted to me. I'm used to discussing potential interventions with a patient and also the expected visit frequency. But when it comes to building more of this collaborative plan with my patient, I feel like I could do a little better in this aspect. So this is something that I'm learning to do with you all. (laughs) The first question that I've been kind of mulling over is, how do we discuss with our patients what the potential plan looks like without overloading them with information? So I think that an area that I often struggle with especially on that first visit, is just giving the patient a fire hose of information. We're already sharing with them what we think is going on with their condition and what we found with the exam and discussing possible prognostic factors. After all of this, then we also want to add on what we could do about it. But I also don't want to make that what we could do about it so overwhelming that they feel like they just have too many things to think about and they don't know where to start. In thinking about this, a potential solution that I came up with was to offer a really general menu of options. So, it might sound something like now that we've discussed what's going on with your condition and we've answered all the questions about that, I'd like to talk about where we go from here. Some of the potential options that we could do to work on your problem would be exercise, stretching, different manual therapy techniques where I work on you either internally with internal vaginal work or externally working on changing some habits that might be contributing to this problem, and then also just improving your awareness and control of your pelvic floor muscles. And then I would pause and say, how does that sound to you? In this scenario, the patient might come up with things like, well, you know, I'd really like to work on changing this one habit. I think this might actually be making my urinary problem worse. Or they might say something like, you know, I'm I'm really a little uncomfortable working on internal vaginal work and I'd like to find something we could do to avoid that. Giving them the menu of options and then allowing them to have a commentary on it allows us to have more of a discussion and a back and forth and give them some things to think about that what they'd prefer in their plan of care. And I think that having that discussion could make this plan of care a lot more collaborative.
0: Yeah, those are great points, Sammy. In order for someone to be invested, they need to have a stake, uh, a claim to something. And quite simply, we cannot create a collaborative plan of care if we haven't collaborated up until that point. It is improbable that we focus on what I need to know as a clinician in the history and what I need to do in the exam as a clinician and then create a plan of care for the other person. Because even though I think I'm doing the best for them, the truth is is that I haven't involved them in the process. So there's very little stake, there's very little claim to what I have to say unless they believe that I have the answers and that I need to fix them. In which case, we're dealing with a person who is coming to us with some sense of helplessness and low self efficacy. Those people will look at that type of approach where I lead the charge, I do everything, I make all the shots, I make the plan, and they're going to think, that's great, that's exactly what I wanted. However, with that person, we usually end up feeling this sense of, of deep pressure, like we have to have all the answers. And that feeling is an alarm bell that they were not involved in their care or they are not involved in their care currently. So they've got to be involved in it along the way in order to be invested in it when we make the plan. And the next component of a collaborative plan of care is whether the patient has the ability to commit to this plan. Simply put, will they expend the necessary energy to effect change? It's a yes or a no. It's a yes or a no every single time. This is maybe one of the times that binary is true. Because a person can't sort of commit to a plan. You know, sort of committing is not committing when it comes to healing, right? You can't half-ass a behavior change or an exercise program or a mental health plan of care. I mean, you do it or you don't. You did the exercise or you didn't do the exercise. And how much of it you did, now that is a different discussion altogether. But you either do it or you don't. So if they do it, awesome. We have the recipe for a partnership. Each of us has our own responsibilities and together we'll journey towards the summit. I, I think this is critical.
1: I want to reiterate that it's really hard for us to take on the burden of dragging a patient up the mountain, so to speak. They have to want to climb the mountain, you know, if the patient is not ready to engage in therapy not interested in doing any of the program that you've collaboratively created together, then you're going to be feeling like you're banging your head against a wall as a PT. So I think that it is true that we really need to have full commitment to the program. And I guess my question as a follow-up would be also, how do we assess for this? The first thought that I have about how we assess for somebody's commitment to their program would be listening for the stages of behavior change. In episode three of the Conscious Clinician podcast, we do discuss the stages of behavior change and how to listen for when a patient is in the pre-contemplation stage of behavior change, the contemplation stage, the preparation stage, or the action stage. And knowing where your patient is in those stages of behavior change can allow us to determine what their commitment is. If somebody has not really thought much about their condition, they haven't really made the steps to move into preparing to make a lifestyle change, the program that you create
0: for them may not be something that they're ready for. And in many cases, not all, but in many cases, it's because we designed a plan of care based upon what we believe to be the issue and what we think will get them better in what we believe is a reasonable amount of time. So if we as healthcare providers do that, you notice how the patient is not centered in anything I just said. They don't need to commit to a plan of care where they are not centered. In fact, I would side with them. And say that in my experience as a patient, when I'm given a program by a provider that clearly has not centered me in it, I have no desire to be part of that plan. And at this point, as a person, I actually go find another provider to consult with. However, not everybody will realize that they can find a different provider or they may want to stick with you for various reasons, maybe it's insurance, maybe it's costs, maybe it's availability, they might need to stick with you. So now they're, they're put in this position of trying to navigate bringing themselves back into the plan of care that they originally came in for. And this is where I think we get resistance with our patients. This is the patient where they're questioning what we're doing and why we're doing it. And they're trying to navigate that. And the more we try to convince them that we know what's good for them, the more resistance we're going to encounter when ultimately we need them to let us know hey, this is what I can commit to. Or, coming to the realization that they don't have the space available to commit to something. I think it's truly collaborative to both decide that right now is not the time for PT. I think that is doing people such a service to say, listen, here's what we could do based on what you specifically have mentioned. And It will require this much energy investment in order to get this outcome in about this length of time and to have that person then say, oh, okay, well, you know what? I can actually do that or no, I honestly can't do that or I don't want to do that right now. It's also not a failure to have a person that you really listen to, that you're really involved in the whole exam. It's not a failure when they say, I don't want to do it. Part of understanding a collaborative plan of care is opening ourselves up to the multiple possibilities of the outcome. We want to think that a successful plan of care is one which ends with the patient meeting their goals. That's not always the case. A successful plan of care in my mind now is one where both of us were present for the process and decided how far to go together. And sometimes I'm only going to take a person one step. They might not get all the way to understanding that they can live an empowered life with a chronic condition or persistent pain, but maybe they start to understand that you know they can affect change by what they do, exercise, behavior, et cetera. Absolutely.
1: My thought about a patient's level of commitment is how much commitment is necessary. And I do think that there needs to be some level of commitment in order to make a sustainable behavior change. But I'm not sure if I believe that therapy is not useful for someone who is not ready to engage in it. And the reason being is that if you work on PT with somebody and they don't have very high self-efficacy, they're not engaging in their plan, but you've gone over some things with them, they may be storing that information for later. Let's use the example of a brand new mom coming in postpartum. It may be that at that stage in time, addressing her urinary incontinence is not the biggest priority in her life. She's got other things going on. So maybe she's not able to engage in that plan to a degree that really is making any meaningful change in her symptoms. But I do think that when we go over exercises and a plan with somebody, that we are teaching them something. They may not be able to engage in it right that second, but who's to say that in a year, once that person's life has calmed down a little bit and they're ready to engage, that they're not going to pull out that home exercise program and work on it and actually see some benefit at that point in time. Or maybe they'll come back to therapy because they know what it entails. So I'm not advocating for seeing somebody indefinitely when they're not engaged in their plan, but I also think that we can give people some credit for things that they may be absorbing behind the scenes. And maybe successful therapy isn't always equated to their outcome in the moment. Success could also be teaching them something that they can use later.
0: I think that goes back to this immense pressure we have on ourselves as providers, that if we do everything perfectly, everyone will abide by this plan. You can have the most patient-centered evaluation, the most patient-centered planning, and honestly still not end up with a plan of care together. So just know that. Release yourself from that pressure. Yeah, totally. I think that when we're talking
1: about patient commitment, fully understanding a patient's goals really comes in handy. We talk a lot about goal setting in episode six, but we always advocate with the PT goals. When we're asking someone, what are your goals for therapy? One of the things that we want to make sure about is that we're diving a little deeper. If we hear a goal like, I want my leakage to get better, that's not specific enough. That doesn't tell us When we've actually met the goal. What does better mean to the patient, right? A much more specific goal would be something like, I want to be able to run three miles without leakage. We can definitively determine when we've met that goal versus somebody who has this really vague goal of, I want it to get better. If we really understand our patient's goals, we can take that and draw it back into the plan of care so that when we're discussing with the patient all of the things that might help them, we can bring up. We can do running specific training and work on your pelvic floor in the context of running to help you meet your goal of getting back into running without leakage. What do you think about that? That's going to help to create a patient who's much more invested in that plan that you've created because it's addressing something that they're specifically concerned about. So that would be my other tidbit is draw back on those goals and really make sure that the plan that you're creating is actually meeting what the patient wants and not what you want as the provider. The other thing that I like to listen for in my patients is when they're asking active questions, we've noticed that patient, right? They're sitting in front of us and we're telling them, here are all the things that we could do. And they say, okay. And you ask, do you have any questions? Nope. In the past, I would have taken this patient to be right on board with me, ready to go. And now I'm realizing that if somebody has no questions, they actually are not as engaged in the process as somebody who goes, "Well, what about this?" or "What about this exercise? Do you think working on my core might help?" Well, you know, I don't know if I don't know about this one. I've tried this type of stretching before and it actually really flared me up. That's the type of person who's willing to engage with you in a conversation about what would be best for them. And because they're open with you about those things, they're also going to be more satisfied with the things that you come to together. So I think that's another thing that I'll listen for sometimes is trying to hear for those questions that patients are asking and not assume that the person saying, okay, is actually
0: telling you that because they're truly committed to the plan. Because ultimately, for them to commit, they need to be part of the process. They need to be part of the solutions that you all come up with together Because it's their body that they don't feel safe in. You might know that their body is safe, but they don't know that their body is safe and that their body is within their realm of control to some extent. Sometimes there are diseases or conditions in which their body is not fully within their control, but often there is some level of effect that we can exert to improve what's going on. I think we really believe that as PTs is like no matter what's going on, we can still try to preserve or to slow down processes. So we can bring that semblance of hope to someone and we can hold a certain amount of faith that they will be able to commit. We also need to read the writing on the walls when they're not committing. And we need to have a very compassionate conversation with them around, you're not affecting enough energy to see change. And until you do so, this will not change. Rather than trying all different techniques and they're not getting better in a visit, oh my gosh, I'm going to do something different. We need to settle with the fact that it takes time and that it takes their own effort and understand whether they are actually committing to that. And be reflective enough to see how we may be playing a role in it. Because this is a relationship. This is a healing relationship. We need to see what they're doing. We need to see what we're doing. And as best we can, navigate that with a sense of compassion and a sense of hope that things will get better. Absolutely. So the final component is whether we can support their plan of care. And this is is probably the thing that I would say I struggled with the most because it requires a lot of humility and self-reflection and those are probably some new skills for me those are definitely some new skills for me so whether we can support their plan of care is really a question on on many levels you know I mean physically do we have the, the space, the time, etc., cetera, to work with them emotionally and in a sense spiritually? Do we have the presence to be with this person on their journey? And there are times when the answer is no. There are times where what they are experiencing hits so close to home that we are not able to stay centered. I've seen it in myself, I've seen it in other providers, and it really is our responsibility to not do harm in those cases and to recognize that if we don't have the presence, the emotional bandwidth or the knowledge base that we help them find another source. Maybe that's even as simple as releasing them. From having to work with us, or it's providing them other practitioners. Ideally, it's having a list of other people they can go see. But we do owe it to them and ourselves to know whether we can actually show up for this person and get the help that we need. You know, if we know that it's a particular type of patient or something that regularly triggers us then who do we turn to for support? Maybe we can work with that person because that is an area of opportunity of growth for us, but we need to have some type of resource we turn to where we're not just spending every single session getting triggered and working with them. You know, it happens once you're human. It happens twice. It's a pattern. It happens three times. It might be bordering on negligence, to know that you're consistently getting triggered by the same thing and you're continuing to show up in your work. When triggers come up, they will come up. They always come up. We're human. It's part of our experience. Let's work through them. Let's be mindful. Let's be aware of what's going on. Release it. Let it pass. But let's work on it. Because I think this is the part of working with a person that I didn't realize was so important. I knew that if my skill set wasn't up to par, then of course I need to refer them to someone else. If it's a mental health concern, that's outside of my scope of practice. We talk about scope of practice so much that we kind of forget our own psychosocial component in scope of practice. And we have psychosocial factors that empower us to sit with people and that are barriers to us working with people. We really need to be aware of all of those factors in order to be a conscious clinician. 100%.
1: I think that I have this fear of being too directive with people. I don't want to be coming off as, you got to do these three exercises or you're not going to get better and you're going to follow my plan or you're never going to improve. That's not the type of provider that I want to be. And so because of this fear, I think that I sometimes almost err on the side of being too wishy-washy in terms of discussing the plan with patients. And I think that it might actually be helpful to find a middle ground in between these two extremes and be able to say something like, most of my patients find relief when they're really consistent with the treatment plan that we develop. How much time do you think that you could dedicate to your PT treatment each day? That way it becomes, again, collaborative. We're hearing from the patient what they are willing to do. If we hear from them, you know, I really only have five minutes a day, then we're not expecting them to spend half an hour on their home exercise program. Then we can set the person up for success instead of both of us feeling dissatisfied with the level of engagement that was brought to the session.
0: I love that, Sammy. I want to end us with a quote from actually episode 27 with Meryl Alapatu where she said, a group is composed of individuals with their own values and goals. A team is unified by their values and goals. So in order to have a successful plan of care, we need to be on a team with our patient. That means we share values, we share goals, we share decision making, We provide each other feedback and input along the way, which we take in and work with. And then we can do the work with them regardless of the outcome. So wherever you are in your journey, consider these factors. Consider releasing your attachment to the outcome so that you can actually stay present with this person and work with them. Yep
1: thanks for tuning into the final episode in our Soap Notes series. We would love to hear your feedback on the episode. Reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook with any feedback or comments that you have. And as always, stay conscious, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at the Conscious and Facebook backslash the Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and write a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious,
0: everyone. Stay conscious, everyone.